Bible, please, to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to read today verses 1 through 21. We've been doing a Sunday night series on the Ten Commandments, and uh, that uh, may seem like something that might not be terribly appropriate, but we think it's very appropriate in our day. I want you to know that the culture we're living in today is facing a mortal danger. The culture we are living in today is facing a mortal danger. Uh, The danger does not come from socialism. The danger does not come from communism. It doesn't come from being a liberal, and it does not come from being a conservative. The danger that our society is in today comes because we are facing a complete moral collapse. Morality is in free fall among us, and no nation has ever been able to survive a collapsed moral condition. Our nation, over many years, has been able to survive all of these other things. We've outlasted communism. We've never been overcome by socialism. We even survived a civil war without the nation being torn apart. But when a nation loses its moral values, when common decency between human beings becomes a thing that is devalued and not appreciated, we are in deadly mortal danger. And so we, on Sunday nights, have been studying the Ten Commandments. We have gone through uh, eight of them, and Lord willing, we're going to finish them today. We're going to have commandment number nine this morning that I'll be speaking to you about. If you come back tonight, you'll hear the Tenth Commandment. And uh, what are we asking ourselves? We're asking ourselves a question. How do we as believers in Jesus Christ live in a way that enables us to be salt and light in the world that we're living in? How do we live in a way that's distinctly different, that is not part of the problem, but that in fact echoes and points forward to a solution that's a true solution? And in order to do that, we need to go back to the basics. And so that's what we've been doing on Sunday night. So we're going to do that again this morning. We're going to be studying the ninth commandment today. I'm going to invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find it on page 61. The Ten Commandments. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day to the Lord, to the Lord your God. And on that day you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. 
For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that you may fear Him, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. And the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we are in your presence waiting to hear what you have to say. Make your book come alive to us today. Show us, Father, who you are. Show us our hearts. Reveal to us who we are. And above all, please show us who Jesus is. Make your book come alive and we'll be nourished. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen. You may be seated. All the trouble started with a lie. All the trouble started with a lie. All the trouble started with a lie. Just one single lie. Just one single lie. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, our first parents who had everything that you could possibly want, everything in absolute perfection given to them by a gracious, loving God, everything handed to them for their benefit, along came a snake, and he told one lie, and the rest, as we say, is history. The snake came along and he said to the woman, did God really say that you can't eat from any tree of the garden? In this question that he asked, a seemingly innocent question, there's an implied lie. And the implied lie is, you know, you really can't trust what God says. You can't really trust what God says. And by the way, This idea that God loves you, that's not true either. Do you think he really loves you? I think he's holding out on you. I think he's ratting you out. I think what he's done is that he just doesn't want you to be like him. He knows that if you eat that fruit, you'll become like him. He is trying to deceive you. He, He acts like he's the real thing, but he's really the snake. Isn't that interesting? That the snake always calls God the snake. Isn't it interesting that what caused all the problem on planet Earth was a single lie 
told at exactly the right time to ruin everything. And that's what Satan does, isn't it? He hates God. He told that lie, and it started a disaster on planet Earth. The rest, as they say, is history. It's bad history. It's violent history. It's perverted history. Sin has done its awful work on fallen humanity. And indeed, God hates lying so much that he has said in Revelation 21.8, all liars will have their portion in the lake with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. God hates lies, and he hates people who tell lies. And this is why the ninth command list of basic morality that we call the Ten Commandments, the ninth commandment, almost as a climax, comes to the way that we use words and whether or not when we use words we tell the truth or not. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The Scriptures have a lot to say about telling the truth and about telling lies. Scripture tells us that as Christians we have a duty to preserve and promote the truth between man and man. That we need to be the people in our society who stand up for truth and who will insist that truth matters. Do you think truth matters? Oh, can I get a better amen than that? From a good old evangelical Sunday morning crowd on a Sunday morning at Bible Fellowship Church. Don't you know how to say amen? Amen. All right, now we're going to get someplace. Let me tell you something. God hates lying and he hates liars. What we're going to look at today, and the verse I want to call your attention to, is the 16th verse. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The idea that we're dealing with today, the main idea, the big idea, what we're going to try to get at, is that because we're God's people in Christ, who is the truth, that we are to be the people who speak truth, and we're not to be the people who mislead others by our silence. So the commandment comes, and it says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna examine this commandment today using three basic questions, so you can follow as we go through the questions we're going to be using. First question is, What does this mean? What does God mean by this? The second question we're going to ask about this is, after we know what it means, we're going to ask the question, why is this so important to God? Why does God make such a big deal about this matter of truthfulness? Then we're going to finish our time together today by talking about how we live this out in the society that we're living in. How can we be people who stand for the truth in our society? So you can track along with me, and when I get to that last question, you know it's almost donut time. And you're, get, your, get yourself ready for coffee. So here we go. You ready? Let's go. First of all, what does this mean? What does God mean when he says to us, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor? Now, one of the mistakes we could make is to think that this merely deals with uh, going to court. Well, it says uh, if I'm If I can't bear false witness against my neighbor, it sounds like, uh, you know, you go to court, you've been called there to be some kind of a, to give testimony in some kind of a trial, so I'm prohibited from from telling lies in a trial. And that really was thought in that Moses is conveying, but the scripture goes far beyond that thought, 
in this matter of honesty. One of the things we need to know is that when we read our Bibles, we need to read our Bibles in the context of all of Scripture. This serves as almost a kind of a shorthand communication about everything that God has to say about the matter of honesty and truthfulness everywhere in His Scripture. And when we look through the Scriptures, God has a lot to say about honesty and truthfulness. Uh, let me just share with you the words of an older commentator, a fellow by the name of uh, Arthur A.W. Pink. And I'm going to use this to show that uh, rather than taking you to various proof texts, to just cover with you the different kinds of lying or untruthfulness that the Scripture really addresses. Pink says to us that the scope of these words is much wider than is generally supposed. The most flagrant form of this sin, he said, is to slander our neighbors. The most flagrant form of the sin is to slander our neighbors. Slander is a lie invented and circulated with a malicious intent. He says, few forms of injury done by one man to another is more despicable than this. I mean, if you think about it, if you think about it, the things that we say about others are some of the most crucial and important things we say. Do we realize that words are supernatural? Do we realize that when a word is generated on the inside of a human being, it doesn't come from your physical being, it comes from your spirit, comes from your soul. It's part of the, the, the permanent part of man. And the way we use our words concerning others, our neighbors, is crucial because it makes a spiritual difference in the world. So that's one way. An equally reprehensible way of being a false witness is tail-bearing, says Pink. And this is where we repeat things that we don't really know to be true, and we haven't made a careful investigation of the things that we're passing on, but we pass them on anyway. We think, well, that's probably true, or I like that, and so I just pass on this thing that's said, and I don't go to the hard work of examining whether the thing that I'm passing along is really true or not. I don't look at the facts that go with it. Pink points out that there's another form of false witness. He says false witness may be born by leaving a false impression on the minds of people. And in order to put this across, he develops a little conversation. He says you can imagine two people standing and speaking to each other. One of them says, well, have you heard? about Mr. So-and-so. And the other one says, well, no, I, I haven't heard anything about that. And the first one says, well, you know, the less said about that kind of thing, the better. And nothing more is said. What has happened? By silence and by not actually speaking, we leave a false impression about someone else. This also is a way of telling a lie, of being in falsehood. And then another way that we often encounter falsehood and that we participate even to our shame in falsehood is by an unjust criticism or charge that we make of another person. Somebody comes into our comes and says, well, you know, I think this and this and this and this. And we know very well as we're listening to this and this and this and this that the thing that's being said is not true. But instead of speaking up and correcting it, we stay silent. Did you know that by our silence, we participate in the lie that's been told? 
Did you know that when somebody tells a lie in our presence and we don't stand up for what's right and what we know to be true, we become a co-conspirator with them in the lie that they've just told because our silence implies that we believe it too. Another way of lying and being untruthful is to flatter someone. To flatter. You ever flatter somebody? Do you ever give them a, he's got this great uh, old word for it, an exaggerated eulogy. An exaggerated eulogy. Makes you think of a funeral, doesn't it? Well, it, it should make you think of a funeral because more lies are probably told at funerals than at any other church service, you know? Because as far as I can tell, everybody's going to heaven at every funeral, you know? And, uh, and as far as I can tell, everybody was just a saint by the, time they got to, by the time they got to the funeral parlor. I do not know how that works because I've known some of these people. And it's, I got some questions about this. But you know, one of the things that we can do to be untruthful and that we do is untruthful is that we flatter people. We say things that, that really aren't true to make them sound better in their own eyes or in our own eyes or in somebody else's eyes than, than they really are. That's a form of dishonesty. God says, I don't want that. Listen to how Pink summons that there's no word of the Ten Commandments. He says, rightly has it been said, quote, that there's no word of the Ten Commandments that's more often or more perpetually and persistently broken than the Ninth Commandment. And men need to perpetually and persistently pray to the Lord, O Lord, set a watch before my mouth and keep the doors of my lips. Can I get an amen? amen? It's very easy for us to fall into this, isn't it? The point, the doctrinal point of this question, what's meant by this, is simply this, that failing to speak the truth about ourselves or about others in any form at all is to tell a lie. When we don't speak the truth about ourselves, when we don't speak the truth about others, in any form at all, then we're being dishonest. We're violating this commandment. You know, words are powerful things. In a court of law, when a man's accused of murder and he's on trial for his life, a few words spoken by the judge or by a witness or by the jury can make all the difference between a life of freedom and a tragic death. I wonder if we realize the seriousness of the words that we speak about others and to others. We seem to be living in a moment in history in which many Christians have decided that it's okay to say whatever we want to say about others, especially if we don't know the people personally. And it, that really isn't a matter of moral consideration. We can just pass things along. I want to be very frank with you. Frankly, I cringe when I read what some of you are posting on Facebook about people you don't even know. Passing along things that you do not know to be true without fact-checking them. Slandering others without knowing whether you're telling the truth or not. We seem to have no regard for fact-checking. No concern for the damage we may be doing to other people's reputations that we don't even know, know personally. We don't seem to have any real concern to rebuke those who are lying shamelessly about others. When we do these things, or when we're silent as we do them, to, as others do them in our presence, we make ourselves co-conspirators with those who lie. 
We participate in lies when we use our words to slander, to tailbear, to give a false impression, or to flatter, when we remain silent in the presence of an unjust criticism of another. And it isn't just on Facebook that we do these things, is it? It's a very serious matter in God's eyes. This is what he means when he says, you shall not bear false witness. Second question. You ready for the second question? Oh, you can do better than that. Are you ready for the second? All right, now you're getting the spirit of the thing, if you're ready for the second question. Why is this matter of truthfulness so serious in God's eyes? Why does God take this matter so seriously? We suggest to you that there are two reasons, at least, why God takes this matter seriously. The first is that to despise truth is to despise God, whose very being and character are truth. To despise truth is to despise God, because God is truth. And when we play fast and loose with the truth, we're actually revealing what we really believe about God and about who God is. Make no mistake about it, those who despise the truth are revealing a secret hatred for God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way that anybody can get to God, the only way that anybody can get to the Father, is by undoing the lie that was told in the garden. Did you know that? God has conditioned his salvation on the rebuke of the lie that Satan told in the garden. In the Garden of Eden, Satan told a lie, and he said, you can't trust what God says, and God doesn't really love you. And the way that we come into salvation is by saying, I do trust what God said, and he does too love me. That's what God's condition is for salvation. In other words, he says, the damage that's been done in the Garden of Eden by that one lie has to be undone by an eternal truth. Has to be undone by the truth that Jesus exhibited on the cross of Calvary. If you want to know if God loves you or not, go to the cross. Go look at the cross because that's where you find out if God's telling the truth or not. And that's where you find out that God, in fact, does love you. God says, I'm going to undo the lie. And here's how I'm going to undo the lie. I'm going to require my people to believe what I've said about my son and to know my love coming to them through the cross of Jesus. This is God's plan. This is how God has decided to overturn the, the lies of Satan. The lie that ruined everything, God overturns at the cross by proving that he's truthful and by proving that he loves us. God insists that that lie and all of its damage that is caused be undone through our wholehearted acceptance of the truth, Jesus Christ, his son. So the first reason that God takes lying seriously is because it's positive proof when we lie that we don't really trust him, that we don't really believe him for who he is, denies his nature. The second reason that God takes lying seriously is because lies cause nothing but damage to those that God loves. Lies cause nothing but damage to those that God loves. The quickest way to blow apart a family or a congregation full of people 
or a nation is to tell a lie. Because lies always separate man from man. Have you noticed it? Have you noticed this? This is the way you destroy things. You tell a lie and you let the lies go unrebuked. There's separation that comes from a lie. In the Garden of Eden, when Satan perpetrated that one lie on humanity, he separated man from God. We've been, ever since that day, man and God have been at odds with each other, at war with each other. When Satan told that lie, he separated Adam and Eve. What's the first thing that Adam said after he told that? God says, why did you do this? He says, oh, the woman, you know, the woman made me do this. You see what happened? I mean, they were perfectly joined to, to, to each other before the lie was told. After the lie is told, they're in different camps. That's what happens in humanity. The reason humanity can't get along with humanity is because lies have intervened so that we don't believe the truth. Not only does it separate God from man, and not only does it separate man from man, but it separates us from ourselves. You know the guilt you feel when you say something that isn't true, don't you? That, that cognitive dissonance that the psychologists talk to us about. Can I just use the old-fashioned word for that? It's guilt. You ever feel any guilt? Why do you feel guilt? You feel guilt because you can't even be at peace with yourself because a lie has ruined your relationship even with your own inner person. And not only that, but the lie not only separates man from God, not only separates man from man, not only separates man from himself, but it is even spoiled nature. So that the world that we live in fights against us. How many of you want to go through Hurricane Irma again? No, why? Why not? Because, because even nature has been ruined by that one lie in the garden. Do you see this? Do you see what happens? When we lie, when we don't stand up for the truth, there's always this blowing apart of the things that God loves. And God says, I can't let this go on. I can't let this go on with humanity. I love these people. How am I going to let this happen that they keep blowing themselves apart like this? Because they will not live in the truth. This is what God is saying. God hates lies because they deny his nature. They deny who he is. And God hates lies because it spoils the ones he loves. The doctrinal point here is simply this. God takes lying seriously because those who lie despise both who he is and you speak badly about. If you speak badly about my wife, you speak badly about me. Criticism of my children is criticism of me. Can I get an amen? I think we all feel this way about the ones we love, don't we? Isn't there a natural protectiveness in our hearts for anyone we really care about? God cares for people. God loves his people, but he even loves the ones who haven't become his yet. He cares about lost humanity. He desires that his concern for those he loves be reflected in lives, actions, and words of all of us who call him Father. 
And for this reason, it's the Christian's responsibility to preserve and promote truth between man and man. I suppose none of us really wants to damage others by the way we treat the truth, do we? But I wonder if we realize that as Christians, we have an obligation. And the obligation we have is to represent the truth to those around us. Dear ones, somebody has to speak up for truth in this generation. In a world where lies are casually accepted as normal ways of doing business, who will finally have the courage of conviction to stand up and say, in God's name, enough is enough? God has assigned that duty to those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. As Christians, we have an obligation to bless God's name by standing up for the truth. As Christians, we have an obligation to stand up for the truth when our neighbors are slandered or flattered or misrepresented in front of others. Who will stand for truth in this generation? Those who do are God's people in spirit and in truth. Third question. Are you starting to salivate for a donut? You ready? Third question. We're almost done. What's the Christian's responsibility toward truth in our generation? If truth is this matter of being not telling a falsehood, telling the truth, accurately describing the reality of ourselves or others, and if God hates falsehood, then how do we live out this in our generation? What's the Christian's responsibility toward truth in our generation? Let me suggest three things to you. First of all, we have an obligation to speak for the truth in our generation. We have an obligation to speak up for truth in our generation. Since Jesus is the truth and we are in him, we have a responsibility to speak the truth into the world we live in. Jesus explained this matter to us in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. He said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Now in that same way, said Jesus, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now what's Jesus saying? In the Bible, light is a well-known symbol for truth. What Jesus is saying then is that because we have received and believed God's revelation of reality in the Bible, that we are his plan for spreading that light all over the world. We should be so full of God's truth that it flows out of our mouths and our hands and our feet as we walk through the world. People around us need to know what the truth is, and we are God's ordained method for them hearing what the truth is. We are God's ordained method for people encountering the truth. The point that we're making here is simply that we have an obligation to speak for truth. Do you ever think about the fact that somebody has to tell you what the truth is? Somebody has to tell you what the truth is. For most of us, it began with our parents. And for some of us, it continued with our Sunday school teachers and our pastors and our grade school teacher and our high school teacher and maybe a college professor. Somebody began by telling us what the truth was. 
Now, it's true that we didn't always get good information from these sources. Sometimes the people who were trying to help us were themselves ignorant of what the truth was. And sometimes they might even have been intentionally deceptive. Nevertheless, the reality remains, if we're to know what's true, somebody has to tell us. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are God's appointed messengers to the people of our generation. We have a responsibility. We have to know what the truth is, and we have to speak the truth to those who are deceived and confused and ignorant in our world. How will they ever learn the truth if we don't speak up about what the truth is? The men and women of our generation have been taught that they're accidental travelers through reality. They believe that they're the product of a blind, mindless force that operates completely by chance. They've been taught that the truth is an illusion at worst and relative at best. They truly believe that truth is optional, and so it doesn't matter to them if somebody tells lies. Now, to those with that worldview, all that matters is, what's the result? That worldview only has one question in view. What's the result? If I, need, if I get the result that I need by telling a lie, then let's tell the lie. If I get the result that I need by telling the truth, let's tell the truth. Do you see what the problem is? The problem is that when you make truth irrelevant, you become hopeless. The philosophy of life that these people have is a dead end spiritually, existentially, and morally. It leads to the hopelessness of despair. If nothing is really true, then life has no ultimate meaning. Into this darkness, we are sent with the brilliantly bright light of God's revelation. Our Bibles reveal to man everything needed for life and godliness. Our Bibles tell us who we are, why we're here, why we're so miserable, who God is, what God has done to rescue us from the darkness. This is a high calling and it's a great responsibility. My question for you is, are you up to the task of being a truth teller in our generation? And if you believe you are, my next question is, what are you prepared to do about it? Are we going to be the ones who tell the truth in our generation? Secondly, let me suggest to you that our responsibility is that we must not remain silent in the face of lies. We must not remain silent in the face of lies. To be silent when we should rebuke a lie is to participate in deception. Our great temptation when somebody tells a lie in our presence is to remain silent. We go along to get along. This is especially true if we like the person who has told the lie or if the lie he's told actually suits our wishes. We may know very well that what he's saying is not really true, but because we kind of like what he's saying and it, it agrees with what we'd like to have as a result, what we wish were true, we remain silent when we ought to speak up for the truth. To do this makes us a co-conspirator morally with the one who told the lie. By our silence, we give agreement to what has been said. And in that moment, we partner with the devil, who is a liar from the beginning and the father of lies. 
The point that's being made is that as Christians, we're obligated not to mislead others by our silence. As Christians, we're obligated not to mislead others by our silence. And we've all done it, haven't we? We remain silent as someone passes an unkind or an untrue remark about a personal acquaintance. I remember an incident like this that I saw many years ago now on television. Uh, some of you may remember the late newsman Peter Jennings. Peter Jennings, I don't remember what the issue was, but as the interviewer was talking to Peter Jennings, he spoke, uh, he made a very unflattering remark about another news anchor, a fellow at a competing network uh, from uh, Peter Jennings. He said something that was, was disrespectful toward this other guy. And immediately Peter Jennings spoke up and he said, wait a minute, that guy is a friend of mine and I don't appreciate what you just said about him. And I thought to myself, you know, that's remarkable. As far as I could tell, Peter Jennings is not a believer. As far as I could tell, this man was not a Christian, and yet he felt a moral obligation when something untrue had been said about a friend to step into that situation and say, hey, wait a minute. That's not what needs to be said here. As Christians, we have a moral obligation to be just as quick to speak up for, as Peter Jennings was that day when someone tells or repeats a lie in our presence. Truth matters in our world of swirling untruths. Silence is not an option because it means that we're giving tacit agreement to the lie that's been told. We need to speak up. We should speak up gently, but we should speak up. We should speak up firmly, but we should speak up. We should speak up respectfully to the individual that we're talking to, but we should speak up. We should speak up. My question is, are you up to the task? And if you're up to the task, what are you prepared to do about it? Lastly, get ready for coffee and donuts. Here it comes. We have an obligation. We must never commit ourselves. We must commit our, excuse me, let me do that again. We must commit ourselves never to willingly partner with lies. One of the great lies that I often hear in our day from Christians, Christians repeating is, when faced with a choice between two evils, it's the Christian's responsibility to choose the lesser of two evils. That is a lie. It doesn't come from your Bible. It comes from the pit of hell. Did you know that? The Bible is very clear about this. The Old Testament gives witness to the fact that God's people, when they were in a poverty-stricken spiritual condition, were always going off and making alliances with evil people. They were always going off and making alliances with Egypt or Assyria or Babylon and time after time, God would send his prophets back and rebuke them for doing that. He rebuked them for their unbelief, for unbelief it is. When we form alliances with that which is false, we're admitting that we don't really believe the one who is true can take care of us. This is what God told his people every time they fell into sin. By reading our Bibles, especially the Old Testament, we learn that God is completely sovereign over every aspect of life on planet Earth. He does not need our help to accomplish what He's decided to accomplish on planet Earth. 
when Jesus often faced this, he would be casting out a demon. Sometimes the demons would come out by say, and say, whoa, you are the son of God. And every time that happened, Jesus always commanded them to be silent. Why? Because God never partners with evil in order to do good. God never partners with evil in order to do good. A moment's thinking will show us the truth about this matter. Even secular philosophy recognizes that when you choose the lesser of two evils, you still choose evil. When you choose the lesser of two evils, you still choose evil. When we rationalize that we should choose the lesser of two evils, we willfully choose to partner with the open enemies of God, and the whole world knows we're hypocrites. They may be wrong about that, but they have a right to say that. For we have violated the law of God and our own conscience by what we have done. The point being made is that as Christians, we must never willingly partner with evil. My question to you is, are you up to the task? And if you're up to the task, what are you prepared to do about it? All the trouble started with a lie. All the trouble continues in full force, protected by a bodyguard of lies right down to the present moment. Dear ones, you can always tell who's on God's side and who isn't. Those who stand for truth are God's people. Those who cloak their desires with lies aren't. May God help us to be those people who always stand for truth in our generation. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be the people who stand for truth. We want to be the people who stand for truth. And sometimes we just don't think clearly. And sometimes our minds just get hijacked by the world. It pours its junk into us and makes us think that we're doing the right thing when we're doing the wrong thing. We need you to clear our vision. We need your Bible to come to our rescue. We need your spirit to do what only he can do. Help us to be people who speak up for the truth in our generation, who do not cooperate with evil and who will not cooperate with lies. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do, as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with his saints. And all God's people said, Amen. Did I promise you a donut? Amen. Go. Go.